Grapple fans, and welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Meltzer Five Star Project. As myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host Simon Cross go two fifths of the way into our week of January the first through to January the seventh, which saw five matches get five stars or higher, and we're on to the second one from the first night to gain a five star rating. It's night one of Wrestle Kingdom. It's January the 4th, 2021. And what match are we covering now, Simon? We are covering your main event for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and the IWGP Intercontinental Championship as challenger Kota Ibushi takes on the reigning defending champion Tetsuya Naito. Well, the overall note I had with this match when it was over was... Thank God they didn't try to kill each other that much. <laughs> I was going to say, it's going to involve neck trauma. Yeah, and I think the key there was that it was night one. I do wonder if Obushi had nothing to be prepped for tomorrow, if they might have gone a bit more hardcore. Because essentially going into this match, everyone knew that Naito and Obushi, when they go on against each other, they don't seem to want to end with either of them having a neck. And whilst Naito is working the neck throughout this whole match, there's not really much in the way of dangerous spots, and we can only be thankful for that. But one thing that is interesting about this one, Simon, how we were talking about the previous match, Okada Osprey, was maybe as much about the story and the chapter in a longer narrative. This is the first time in a long time where Naito feels like a supporting player in someone else's story. Do you get where I'm coming from with that? Yeah, the build-up to this Wrestle Kingdom was Bushi's chase, not Naito's crowning moment. I think in 2020, they, they couldn't do obviously what they wanted to do. That much is evident. But I think Naito's crowning moment was Jingu Stadium, in terms of like, that's your like, you are the champion again, enjoy your moment kind of thing. Have your fireworks and whatnot. His crowning moment will always be January the 5th, 2020 where he beats Okada and he wins both the belts and everything that has been part of this seven eight year narrative has been sealed every part of it is closed and then they start a new one with evil turning on him in a rushed job that they had to well yeah they started one straight away because obviously Kenta attacks him. yes yes but that's just the if you're gonna be a champ you're gonna get you're gonna get attacked. yeah I know uh, you're gonna get challenged in a nice way like Sonata does uh, tomorrow, or a rude way, like Kenta does that time. Naito's story going into the G1 was that he wanted to win it so that he can pick Takahashi to challenge him. So even that was, he was trying to help someone else. That was his story. He does have an attachment with Takahashi, doesn't he? Sort of like, to go to our previous episode, Okada did have with Osprey. Yeah, in a way. Although Naito was there training him, whereas Okada just sort of discovered Osprey. But yeah, I know where you're coming from. Again, it's a big brother, little brother relationship between those two. 
Ibushi's story of his ascent has essentially been going on for six years at this point, from the time he challenged Nakamura for the Intercontinental Championship at Wrestle Kingdom 9. Which is sort of referenced in the pre-match package, I think, is it not? Yeah, yeah, I think so. We see clips of that. But Ibushi being his wandering self, there were interludes in... The Cruiserweight Classic, for an example. And there was always that sense of can New Japan actually trust him to be around and reliable enough? But obviously at some point they decided they could. And Ibushi became part of it. And the whole story of Ibushi has been that he's tried to become, similar to the Okada Osprey match in a different way, the complete wrestler in some sort of perfect, well, God-like form. He wants to master everything, um, be the physical embodiment. And what's interesting about this match is that it is... Ibushi's natural, it's almost supernatural abilities that he goes beyond himself yeah. in what, what a person can do physically against the brain power of Naito. Naito's work throughout this whole match reminds me a lot of Bret Hart whenever he's in a face-versus-face championship situation either as a challenger or as a champion. Yeah. And also a lot of Tanahashi's work, in that there is a sense of he plays tough, he sort of plays fair, he bends the rules, so that it's enough that he can create sympathy for his opponent but not make himself look like a villain. You look Hmm. at how he works against Davy Boy Smith at SummerSlam 92, things like he holds onto a sleeper hole when they get into the ropes, similar to how Naito holds onto a submission hole when Ibushi gets into the ropes for a couple of seconds, or when Ibushi gets into the ropes when Naito's got him in a neck crank, and Naito releases the hole but keeps it in there so that the referee has to do stuff to release the hold, and that causes a bit more discomfort to Ibushi. Naito essentially throughout the whole match wrestles a perfect match, insofar as he's using his brains and and he's got this smile on his face I guess it's because and I was thinking this is because this is basically everything Naito wanted he wanted to be the the champion main eventing a January 4th Tokyo Dome match Mm. he's the guy that someone else needs to beat he's the king of the castle yeah and everything goes back to the neck just like how with a a Tanahashi match so often you see his brain working that everything will go back to the knee whereas with Ibushi it is about the championship, but that's sort of a means to an end in terms of if he wants to become God, he has to beat the best people and the best people have to have the titles. They talk about when he was in the most recent G1, he was matching styles and trying to beat people at their own game and like wrestling different against different opponents. And obviously Naito sort of gets an opportunity to target the neck early doors with that German suplex onto the ramp. This is how something dangerous should be done, but it actually looked a lot less dangerous to me than they made it out to be because they say he lands on his head. And I don't. He might land on his head, but not like jarringly on his head, not like spiked. And then obviously it's okay, I've hit him hard, and it's where I was going to target. Let's make hay while the sun shines. Yeah. It's always about controlling the pace. And Naito, for the most part, gets to control it at his tempo. Sometimes he has to speed it up. And when he does, Ibushi will get in there. And eventually, Ibushi starts to get more and more into it. But it's because he has to hit some big moves that just come from his natural ability. Whereas Naito, everything's sort of going to his plan. He's Like I said, I always love it when you can see a wrestler unpicking a lock as the match goes on. And for the most part, Naito does that. I was a bit frustrated when you get into the traditional, they're on the knees, big move exchanges, that 
very often Naito doesn't go back to that neck, whereas Tanahashi it was always a sense he would go to the knee. But towards the end, he does start hitting the elbows to the neck again. Um, Ibushi doesn't necessarily sell it, but it's harder to sell a, a neck injury, I suppose, other than just the classic clutching it and wincing. A knee injury you can work with. You can do the limp. You can do... Or it gives out, or like the little... You put in a submission hold, you can be sitting up from a figure four leg lock screaming in pain. Whereas if you're in a neck submission, pretty much your head's under the control of your opponent. So there's only so much movement you can do and, and gesticulating you can do to get that across. But they were saying that this is just like how Tanahashi would always go for the knees that incapacitates you and allows you to be open for a high fly flow or a submission hold. Naito, they've said throughout the whole year, the whole G1, it's always going after that neck, setting them up for the Destino. And that's why those short elbows have started emerging from, when he's, like, holding the wrist. and like It's like elbow jabs, but they're, like, yeah. well, rapid strikes. Well, sometimes he's literally hitting him in the back of the head whilst he's got him in a submission hold. I love, I love his, like, wily fox-like nature. But then always Naito can do something spectacular that doesn't necessarily need to be... He doesn't even necessarily need to think about it. It's just something that his body can do. Instant reflexes, like when he goes for a German suplex, Naito's able to roll through it. And that's another moment where he's smiling because he's like, I've got this. I'm wrestling this perfectly. Goes to go for a low drop kick. Ibushi's so good that he can jump to avoid it. And then whilst Naito's down on the mat, stomp on his stomach. It's just those moments that remind his opponent that Kota Ibushi transcends the realms of like physical possibility. He He's more than an athlete. He is what he claims to be, maybe. Humankind has been made from him. And to be honest, I'm annoyed at the copy of it. I wanted, a better, I wanted to be a better co- copy of that god. If that's what god looks like, I, I refuse to believe I was made in his image. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of occasionally having a, a similar annoying fringe. Uh, but yeah, like you say, it's targeted. When when they go into a strike exchange, Ibushi hits forearms that Naito invites. But then Naito's not just forearming him, he's elbowing him in the neck that will take Ibushi down to his knees, whereas Naito's ready. Naito goes for, charges Ibushi, Ibushi hits him with a power slam, goes for a moonsault. But every time he's trying to get him, Naito can snuff it out. He sees it coming, he dodges it and immediately puts him in sort of a Koji clutch-esque move. But the big, big moment that actually starts to bring us into the sequence at the end is the apron moment. And we know that when it comes to Ibushi and Naito, they will do some scary moves off the apron. (laughs) But this is actually, as far as Ibushi-Naito apron moves goes, is the safest one they've done, in theory. And also the most spectacular looking one to me, because the quickness that Ibushi takes the charge and leaps into the perfect runner. And also, Naito is similarly doing some fantastic work with that, that he moves with him and goes across and the leap... It's just utterly spectacular, that. The slow-mo of it is like a really nice moment of showing how perfectly they got that moment right. The sense of it's not a choreographed move, it's like, although it is, it looks like a beautiful improvisation that works perfectly and the momentum is shifted in a naturally looking way naito believably is utterly out of it and unfortunately like i said it's theoretically the safest thing but he very nearly fucked his knee up when his leg gets caught between two of the gaps in the barricade 
but then that's his moment that he, the first time that he's in serious peril and he barely gets in at 19 and obviously you know it's a spot that gets milked oh like he gets every millisecond out of that like typical long count spot doesn't he it didn't feel too contrived it felt earned like the first 10 seconds is him utterly surprised that that's happened to him and then the next 10 seconds is him going oh shit i'm in big i'm in a lot of pain <laughs> yeah <laughs> I should really but get a it, move it, on. It needed to be something spectacular because essentially Ibushi had to put Naito into a similar state physically that he's been after getting beaten up for 20 minutes, essentially. Whereas, you know, Naito just needs to be hit with something huge. Like I said, Naito's wrestled the smart game. Ibushi has just used his physical gifts to keep in, involved in it. And he's ruthless as well with the stomping on Naito as he comes in and they set up the German suplex again. A very scary move. And they go for the closest thing to a safe move off of it. My old favourite, the reverse Rana. When I saw this live, I immediately thought of you. You texted me, didn't you? Yeah. But like I said, I don't mind that one. There's the snap reverse Rana, which is so difficult to do and is so often screwed up, even... Omega managed to screw that up when Pac did it to him, or the, it was the one blown spot in the Gargano Champa classic. But there are two ways you can do it where it looks good and safe and is relatively believable. One is Tanahashi doing it from an electric chair position with Omega, so it's not a leap immediate. He can balance himself, position himself, and then do it appropriately, and he can control the speed of the movements. Or you do it from the top rope like they did in this one, which gives you time to do... Room to manoeuvre. Mark it off your bingo card, the full rotation, so that your head doesn't have to hit the mats, yeah. almost, most likely. Because soon after, is um, he hits Destino as well. So it's yeah, like, yeah. he cranks up the pressure straight after, even though Kota is trying to like kick, out at, kick at him and does land some kicks. That is... The gear shift, as you say. Well, it's the classic New Japan finishing moments at this point where they're going for finishes, things are being reversed. You know, Ibushi goes for a Kamigoye. Naito turns it into a Destino for his first two can. He goes for another one, which is turned into a Bastard Driver. They do the forearms at the knees, getting up on their feet. Ibushi looks like he's got it, then Naito just hits one of those slaps that's incredible. The echo around the dome. It's one of the few moments that the, the, the fans being quiet can work. And then Ibushi returns fire with a lariat. It was as close as I came to being frustrated because Naito isn't wrestling as smart anymore. He's going down that standard move. He's not looking for an opening with the neck. Although at one point he does go back, so he's not entirely. But I just think there would never be a moment where Tanahashi wasn't still trying to do the clever thing wherever possible. It almost feels at that moment like the neck work has gone. Because, again, it's hard to sell. You can't limit. But, yeah, Ibushi goes for certain things. And he goes for the Phoenix Splash, and that misses. And then Naito's able to turn that into a, a Destino. That's after Ibushi's hit the Kamigoye, which is... I think it's the first time anyone's kicked out of that. Uh, I might be wrong. Maybe... No, because they said he had to do it twice to Sonata, so I guess yeah. he did do it. But um, the difference being now, he had to do it three times for this one. And there's also an extra special thing about what he has to do before then. When Ibushi blocks the Destino, Naito goes back with elbows to the neck, and there I go, that's Tanahashi-esque. Because he was always seen as the inheritor of the Tanahashi mantle, and he was called the Stardust Genius because he was, you know, he's got that great brain. But Ibushi escapes the suplex, hits a high kick, and another Kamigoye. He's exasperated at this point, not like a cheesy Undertaker 
just sitting there, what am I going to do? He's the memeable like, one, yeah. All right, I've got to think whilst I'm here. And so he rolls the knee pad down. So he's still working when he's not just doing the your usual incredulity look. And it looks like Naito's out, but he's got one final burst of energy. But it's clear that the Kamigoya took so much out of him. Because both times he's hit the running Destino. It's like his version of Okada hitting a short lariat or a discus lariat from his rainmaker without necessarily getting the full ripcord with naito it's always the arm ringer and the full spin over and so he thinks he's got that but he halts it and that's where he's still holding on to the wrist and that's where we get a v trigger yeah baby and that was that was the text i sent you ibushi used a v trigger dot 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 yeah could be nothing could mean everything we don't know yet final kamagoye wins the match uh, I don't know how much I like the whole, oh, he still thinks he's won and he doesn't know that he's... I'm, I'm not sure yet about that. Uh, I think it can be a bit cheesy. Why does he not think he's... Like, what's he... There's nothing that says he's just been concussed. No, none of this match has been about concussions or anything like that. Exhaustion, I can kind of believe, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'll have to think about it longer. But that was a match that I just think, like I said, they had to kind of temper it. And weirdly, I think they're tempering of it made me like it more than I think I would have if they'd been able to just go all out uh, insane like they were for their Intercontinental Championship matches in the past. Like I said, I love I love wrestling where you can see the strategy. Like and, and you know, me comparing it to work from Bret Hart and Tanahashi shows me shows you how much I love so much of Naito's work in this match. Uh, how about you, Simon? I'm broadly in agreement there. Like I never felt I never winced in this match. Which matches involving both these gentlemen I have in the past. I think they told the story of Wiley Fox versus superhuman genetic freak yeah. really well. And I like that Naito, again, that sense that he's been in someone else's story this time. And he almost feels like, well, I've got a role to play then. And he hands Ibushi the belt. So it's like this thing that he worked so long for. But it kind of, there's a sense of closure for him. I don't actually know where Naito goes after this. Yeah, I can't really place. I can, I can sort of see him as, I guess, just a safety for um I don't think he'll drop like a stone down the running order but maybe there's going to be something with him and Sonada maybe he'll turn bitter heel or something like that you don't know hmm. I think he'll be in a role similar to Tanahashi going forward actually where after Tanahashi lost to Okada in that he still won the IWGP title I, I imagine he's probably got one or two more reigns left in him but I wouldn't be surprised if he's not in any more G1 finals or he's not in any he might be in one or two more Wrestle Kingdom main events he can do that or Dominion main events. Maybe the belts will be broken up and he ends up becoming as defined by the Intercontinental title as Nakamura was. That could work. Yeah, I personally think the belts need to be broken up. Yeah, I agree with that. Because I think that's the one frustration Naito had that he never got to do defending both titles separately. I think that's what he always wanted to do. Uh, I think from just a personal perspective, it's hamstringing them. Yeah. Although, weirdly, they're talking about unifying them as well, which is an interesting difference. Yeah, they've sort of got away with it this year. That's one of, like, the positives from everything. But if they'd had a full, like, normal pre-pandemic 2020, that would have got old well before now. A lot of people have criticised Gado's booking, but I think his hand's been forced. I think if he told the stories he wanted to tell over 12 months instead of a compacted version of six... And there were crowds responding to stuff loudly and and what have you. It would have been a very different thing. I think we always were meant to end with this 
situation. Him having Ibushi lose both nights last year, and, and this time having to beat the guy that won both nights and the guy that beat him on the second night is the logical story. And so, like I said, Naito was the supporting player. I think he's, he's done a fantastic job in this match in more ways than one. <laughs> um, and that sort of shows you kind of one of the reasons why I love Naito so much as a wrestler. Do I love this match enough to give it five stars? Not quite. Again, I just wish the crowd was there. I wish the finishing straight had maybe stayed with what story they've been telling. And it's just been much of a muchness after a while with the whole thing. And maybe a few too many kick outs. I'm not going to get into the whole driving instructor telling you everything you've been demarked on. But if you had to give me... We're trying to think where I'm giving star ratings. I probably would go four and three quarters, personally, if I had to. How about you, Simon? Mine is... I am giving this five stars. It meant a lot more to me the second time when I was properly watching it as opposed to when I had it just sort of on in the background when I was working. Yeah. The previous time when I was watching it live. I think one of the reasons I am giving it five stars is for what you say. It was different to what I thought this match was going to be going into it. And that pleasantly surprised me. And the flow of it kept me going along. I I wouldn't put it like anything beyond that. And I don't think this is a, a top ten troubler by any stretch of the imagination. But... I think it did everything it designed itself to do and did it well. Yeah, based on law of averages, we're going to have 250 of these before the end of the year. But <laughs> this could very much be in the top 50 of those, at least. And maybe <laughs> one of those might even be WWE. <laughs> maybe. Well, if NXT can sort themselves out, we'll see. But anyway, what are we covering for Wrestle Kingdom Night 1 has been over, but Wrestle Kingdom Night 2 is upon us, and we've got two more matches coming out of that show with five stars or higher. We do. One has been, obviously, uh, built and set in place by this match. But before we get there, we get to see... The number three belts. The number three belt. Recent arrival, in relative terms, to the five-star pantheon, Shingo Takagi, versus a debutant in Jeff Cobb. The Empire have not finished with their five-star matches, though might have a while to wait for the Great Okan. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> but anyway, if you want to get in touch with us before we talk about never, how can they do so for you, Simon? Uh, people can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm signing a Simon Cross free. Free for the number of vertebrae I thought were going to get cracked in this match. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for ARC and for Narrative. That's my Twitter handle, Facebook, Instagram, Letterboxd. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show, lmtyspod at gmail.com. Pod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. And if you feel like throwing a few pennies our way, then you can do so by our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash lmtyspod. But there's nothing left to say at this point until next week, other than that my name is Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. <laughs>